If you're enjoying today's program, please tell your friends. It's the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW, your cure for corporate radio. Jeff and Bob are in the studio. Not Bob and Doug, Jeff and Bob. A couple of hosers, nonetheless, but always welcome on the pro- program. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz. Nice to have you here, guys. Morning, Jim. Nice to be here. Uh, I want to uh, actually. I want to just pick up from what I was just saying. Just just get your general thoughts about it. This this pandemic business. Um, one of our interns was on last week, and she was very concerned about. She felt that the the quote the drug companies were inciting fear in the people, so they could sell them huge amounts of Tamiflu. Um, I tried to point out that that wasn't exactly the dynamic that was going on, but underlying that was her her belief that there isn't going to be a pandemic because, you know, they can't have that many people dying, and these they're just creating the excitement. Kathleen mentioned today a story in here that in yesterday's budget, they're setting aside $500 million to set up uh, emergency preparedness, I guess, in the event that there is one. Uh, she said, I didn't realize that the governments were taking it quite that seriously. Is it that serious? Are we then going to have a pandemic? <laughs> Excuse me. I don't want to ask either one of you guys uh, to answer that question because obviously it would be unfair. None of us in the room. It's unanswerable. Well, it is unanswerable. <laughs> what I do want to answer you, ask you, though, is a, a couple of different things. Um, what do you think is happening relative to this possibility, uh, the media and and the government and corporations and so on? Uh, certainly, we're hearing an awful lot about the possibility of there being this this terrible pandemic, and many many people are responding to this, and governments are now they're allocating five hundred million dollars to preparedness and so on. Is there any point or purpose to us uh, working ourselves up over something like this, Jeff? That may or may not ever happen. No, I don't think there's a point in getting all worked up about it. And it is true that, uh, unfortunately, I, I think that there are aspects of the media that, that make their money by getting our attention, and they get our attention by scaring us about things. And uh, I recall once um, uh, Kelly Tian, who used to be uh, the, editor at the editorial page at the Free Press, talking about how, by definition, she said, if something's in the newspaper, it's because it's unusual, and you can't sell a newspaper that has a big headline on the front that says everything's okay, pretty much the same as yesterday. So, uh, first of all, obviously, getting getting wound up about things isn't useful. And I, I think once before we talked about how I read an article about how the stress that is caused by the worry that people have is probably more responsible for bad health than the actual um, things that we're worrying about, yeah. whether it's crime, whether it's, uh, again, pandemics, whether it's about uh, West Nile, you, you name it, uh, it, it the cumulative stress uh, wears down our immune system uh, enough that we get sick from all kinds of other things and other than the one we're supposed to worry about. But I remember a few years ago, it was smallpox was the biggie and we were mm-hmm. n- nobody had immunity to smallpox anymore and they didn't have any vaccines built up and all that stuff. And now apparently they do have all kinds of vaccine. They responded to it and now it's there and now it's on to the next thing. So I, I guess in my hopelessly naive way, I think that ultimately governments uh, sooner or later do get around to dealing with these things and, uh, and kind of looking after them. So I, I have to tell you, I don't worry about about it too much. Bob, uh, what, what's your take on it? Well, I don't think about it at all. I don't even think about my own health as much as I should, let alone the world health, for heaven's sakes. You know, but yeah, I've seen what you eat for lunch, by the way. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> which I don't usually even have, which is, which is ironic. But, uh, you know, the when they talk about, I, I don't know what evidence there is that they're expecting this pandemic. I haven't really seen any that convinces me, unless it's statistical in the same sense that California is going to drop into the sea one day. I, I, I think that's a very, I think that's a very good analogy. It is statistical, and it's based on 
observable patterns of breakouts well, of... I can uh, guarantee you that this planet is going to turn into molten lead one day. <laughs> you know, the sun is going to expand into a huge red giant. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that are inevitable, but knowing that they're inevitable doesn't mean we can't do something about it. Now, what do you do about something like this? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't know anything about the, the viruses, microbes, things like that. But it strikes me as odd that we're hearing a lot about this at a time when the healthcare system is so incredibly strained. It sounds a little bit suspicious to me. They're looking for another way to get money into the healthcare mm-hmm. system, particularly into a place where they don't have to provide immediate care to somebody but prepare for it in the quote Mm -hmm. foreseeable future and the way i see it is no matter how much we spend on whatever if this pandemic's eventual and and you know comes to pass i don't think any preparation is going to really save us from it in, in, in the big picture. Mr. Harper delivered his budget yesterday. Mr. Flaherty, on behalf of Mr. Harper, delivered his budget. I've referred to it as the Walmart budget because there's something for everyone in there. They, they, you would have to search pretty long and hard to find some Canadian that wasn't at least touched in some minor positive way by this budget. Uh, is this a good thing, do you think, for the country, for a government to try to be as encompassing. I mean, this obviously is an election budget. Whatever you may think of Harper and, and his ideology, I don't think there's any question in my mind, this is a pre-election budget. This is a budget that attempts to assuage the concerns of some people that uh, that his government is not prepared to be responsible fiscally and otherwise. Uh, it reaches out to a wide variety of Canadians and gives them goodies. Uh, he's cutting the GST as he promised, but he's ke- also keeping Paul Martin's tax cuts. Um, there are significant corporate tax cuts and deferrals and so on. I mean, it's hard to look around across the country and see a group that isn't benefiting somehow from this budget. Now, am I being cynical, or is this is this perhaps a better way than we've seen in the past? Is it maybe better to try to address the concerns of a wide variety of Canadians rather than, as we often see, the more narrow views of a, of a particular power group or a particular squeaky wheel? Bob, what do you think? Well, I think government... Most legislation should be about all the people all the time, as much as possible. It shouldn't be about taxing one group for the benefit of another group, which is what most of politics is about today. Um, in this sense, yeah, it's a pre-election budget. Uh, I think there. I'm glad to see that the income tax was down. But the, the irony here is: is it not? Uh, well, ironic in a sense that we have to depend on a party like the Bloc to get this advantage for ourselves because mm-hmm. the other two parties will not give it to us, okay? And uh, the things that you hear them saying against the budget reveal more about the Liberals and NDP than anything I've ever heard. They are patently wrong about everything, you know? They say, oh, no, nobody's going to benefit from tax deductions. Well, of course you are. I mean, that's so bloody obvious. I don't know how they can say that. But what they mean is our special interest group isn't getting what it wants. Mm-hmm. And that's all they ever mean. And and so I would like to see cross-the-board tax de- uh, deductions. I'd like to see property and uh, income tax gone first. Sales tax is the only legitimate form of government tax in my eyes. And for a lot of reasons, but that's a whole other show. Jeff, what do you make of this? Well, I think as long as uh, as long as uh, Stephen Harper has a minority government, there won't be much to distinguish him from what the Liberals had been doing. And I, I'm you know conscious that uh, that the Liberals uh, would be 
three years ago or so now that they had announced $100 billion in tax reductions over a five-year period. Um, and, that, you know, the, the, there's nobody... Paul Martin cut taxes for Canadians far more than Mike Harris ever did, for instance, when he was in power. And I think in the centre, that's kind of what you do. Um, and uh, as far as whether you sprinkle them around between soccer mums and stuff like that, that, that's kind of fiddling with the details. One thing I regret about that as, as a lawyer is that it just makes it more complicated that uh, people have talked about flat taxes and ways of trying to simplify the tax system. And I recall my tax professor in law school would just, he was just, uh, hated the fact that the tax code was so complicated. And he said, you know, the tax code should be about gaining revenue only. It shouldn't be about setting policy. So you shouldn't have all these little loopholes and distinctions and everything else because it makes it so incomprehensible to the average person. They've got to hire an accountant to try and figure it out. And it also takes away respect for it. And he advocated, you know, social policy should be set by spending programs, but you should use the uh, tax system simply to gain revenue as simply and efficiently as you can. And this is kind of another step away from that by making it more complicated. But generally speaking, in, until uh, Mr. Harper gets a majority, I think he's going to hew to the center, so you're not going to see massive change. This is, I say, very similar to what the Liberals have been doing the last number of years. For me, what I worry about is the penny dropping uh, and, first of all, um, getting to the question of where you're going to find the money for these things because sooner or later Jim Flaherty and John Barrett are going to come for the poor sooner or later there's going to be cuts to EI and, and CPP uh, and housing programs and all that stuff that's where the money will come from but there's not much money there you you yourself By definition, keep telling us the there's poor not much means money they have there. no money well they're saying that there, there's going to be a two billion dollar deficit next year unless they can cut two billion dollars this is with them in a minority position when they get into majority they will be the same as they were when they were uh, with Mike Harris and that will be neoconservatives and they will uh, advocate massive cuts. Now, the Liberals certainly have not raised um, any social programs. EI has been frozen for a decade and a half, CPP frozen. Um, the government had gotten out of social housing altogether for a decade. And they've gotten back into it a little bit now. We've built, uh, you know, 50 units in London in the last decade, for instance. Um, so that, to me, is the worry. I don't so much worry about what's happening right now, and I think it is good politics for him to be sprinkling the money around and appearing as a moderate guy. The question is, for me, is he really now a moderate guy, or is he still the guy he was the rest of his life, which is a neoconservative? And and having said that, I think that he'll do things when he gets into majority that Bob will like, because he'll try and cut taxes as much as he can. He'll cut social programs as much as he can. He'll, he'll especially cut corporate taxes, and the cuts yesterday were mostly concentrated amongst corporations. Um, so those will be all good things for Bob. For me, for me, they just kind of worry me because I think about my poor clients. <laughs> I don't know why you think they're good for me, but you know, there's an issue here that that permeates this whole debate, which I think is completely wrong. That the Harper government is sprinkling money around and and handing out money as though that's what they're doing. No, they're letting people keep their own money. A totally different process from Liberal NDP, where they are taking your money and giving it to somebody else. Okay, and then that somebody else who's getting your money unearned, you earned it, they take it. When they have that money taken away from them, they act like they earned it, and that it belongs to them, and that you getting your money back is an expense to them. That's a complete moral inversion. But again, like the, the liberals are the same the as the conservatives. The, the liberals cut the taxes the same way as the conservatives did. The, the, they're both trying to occupy the middle ground, but they also, the, the um, uh, conservatives announced all kinds of new spending programs yesterday, but they're very targeted based on their polling as to who their voting demographic is. So they're targeted to middle-income earners. They're targeted to corporations. So again, like I gather, there's going to be some kind of rebate I'm going to get because my son plays soccer. I don't know what it is, but something. Yeah, so again, if you've I, got I kids in soccer... <laughs> 
agree with you, Jeff, entirely, and with your professor about what he said about the income tax being so complicated. Well, I'm, I'm upset you know? about the inequity of that because my my dog likes to play frisbee, but I'm not going to get. You know, I have to support the dog, and uh, I don't understand why you should get money for your kid playing soccer. I don't understand why people with kids think anybody else should be paying for anything with their kids. Well, there was a story in one of the papers this morning about two families. One that was quite well, know, quite well off, but obviously had a couple of bucks. One, I think the wife was a nurse and the husband was in computer science or something. And they, uh, the, the gist of the story was that this this would benefit them. This uh, this cut would benefit them. And then there was a family of four that was getting by on an income of a couple to twenty thousand dollars, I think. And the husband couldn't work for health reasons. They never go any farther than that. It's always and, and there are some legitimate health reasons why people can't work. I don't have a problem with that. I know people people who are permanently disabled, and I, my heart goes out to them. I know that they don't. They would much rather not be. <laughs> and yet the tenor of the story sort of was. Oh, these poor people here. Oh, gosh, isn't it terrible? And I'm looking at them thinking, well, you got married, you had the kids. I know I'm being a little hard-hearted here, but you got married, you had the kids. You've, you've fallen on hard times. Hard times are hard times, you know. You, you work harder and you get out of them. If you can, you hope you can. You don't sit around whining about how the government isn't doing more for you and this budget is a disappointment to you when only one of the two parents is working. And, uh, you know, whose, choi- I mean, whose choice was it to have the kids? But yes, but yesterday, Mr. Harper increased the tax rate for the lowest income earners. Like he raised it from whatever it is, fifteen and a half to sixteen percent. So yeah, it's but like it's hard is, times, but he chose to make but, it a bit harder. Yeah, but, it, but that is turning around. <laughs> my understanding is though that the plan is still in place. That by the end of two two oh six or two oh seven, it will have reverted to the Liberal plan, which is going to bring it back down. Thanks to the Liberals. Well, so, but again, and some of the other Mr. Harper make, make, make can choose to make hard times harder if he wants, and he does. You know that that is good politics. Uh, let's change the focus here. I'm just back from Dallas. Spent some time with the uh, with the you all down there and a nice bunch of people but I observed uh, firsthand something that has troubled me for a while and, and certainly we are seeing in this country too not quite the same but, but we're getting close and it to me is very distressing and that is the almost total absence of civility in national politics. I talked to somebody down there who, uh, who a self-identified tex- Texas Democrat who referred to George Bush as a Addle-brained oil lackey moron. I may have lackey wrong. I'm not sure, but addle-brained moron was the part of the phrase, and uh, and was just absolutely adamant that George Bush was just you know the worst thing in the world, the Satan's henchman. I also talked to some Republicans down there who um, were not particularly thrilled with some of George's accomplishments, but at the same time you know, referred to him as though he might actually still be a member of the human race. Um, here in this country, we see it to a lesser extent, but the animosity between people and party levels is, uh, to me, is quite frightening. And when you're down there in, in that kind of country where they, they take their politics very seriously down there, and, uh, you know, you hear people talking about the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the free world, as some version of the Antichrist, and at the, you know, on the other side, you hear people that are ready to you know, man the ramparts for him because he's the last bastion of sanity against the insane leftist hordes that are lurking somewhere in Montana. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, you get, it's, a, little, it's a little unnerving. Um, 
both of you, I know, to a certain extent from time to time have taken notice of, of American politics and certainly you're familiar with Canadian politics. Are we heading down that same road here? I know we're, we are part way down it now, but are, do you think... I, I think the more that the parties are the same as each other, the more you have a lack of civility because they can't distinguish each other, so they fight like a pack of dogs over the same same bone and the same meal. And that's that's interesting basically point. what it's about. You know, I was looking in the free press the other day, and I saw these protesters, I think it was in New York City, and one of them held a sign up that they, the free press chose to be the one that they'd center on, and it says, George Bush is as evil as bin Laden, or as a, you know, that's literally what the sign yeah, said, yeah. you know, and that is so outrageous a statement on any level, okay, uh, that it just gives you an example of how far people will go to misrepresent their feelings and trying to turn them into some kind of a fact, okay? Um, and that kind of rhetoric is is regrettable for starters, obviously, because it's patently untrue. And secondly, it just uh, it's like uh, but it reveals when, the motivations of the people behind some of those comments. Well, I know, but when when you're speaking loudly, it's like the next person feels they have to shout to be heard, you know. And then if shouting doesn't work, then you have to swear to be heard, and it just raises the the volume without raising the uh, tone at sure, all, without raising no the intelligence of what they're saying. Having said that, when you first started talking about this, I, I thought how you know I'm reminded of uh, Winston Churchill and 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 his folks and how the the art of the adjective used to seem to be a high art that they would come up with these most amazing things they would call each other mm-hmm. but they were kind of funny mm-hmm. in a way and then they would all go after the club and have supper and uh, that seems a lot nicer and a lot more genteel and also a lot more productive at the end of the day. Having said that, I'm conscious as a lawyer that one of our traditions is that we go and fight it out in court and we just fight tooth and nail and we accuse each other of all kinds of uh, you know, evidentiary improprieties and all that stuff and then we go have a beer at the end of the day and our clients go, how can you go have a beer with this person that you've been fighting all day and calling every name under the sun and it's a tradition for us but I see some people see that as hypocritical. They say obviously you don't have the courage of your, of your convictions. Let's pause for a moment before we talk about lawyers and how often they should be convicted. Uh, we've got <laughs> Got some important messages for you. And we're back. We're not all done. We're back. Uh, Jeff Slummer, Bob Matt's with us. I, I'm not going to go down the road of how many lawyers should be convicted because that uh, <laughs> opens up a whole different can of worms. But uh, is, there a, is there a way back from from this? Because I see it. We certainly saw it in the last election, in the election before that. And, and I, I think Bob's, personally, I think Bob's right. I think part of it is that the... Uh, the uh, there, there are a lot of there's a lot of common ground here, and it becomes more difficult to stake out your ground. And it's easy for second-rate intelligences to slip to that. I'm not saying that all of our political leaders are second-rate intelligences, but sometimes you can judge a book by the cover. You can certainly judge the book by the words that are in it, or the words that these people speak. And I sometimes wonder, just you know, morally, where they are coming from. But is there a way around this for us? Is there a way back out of that morass? Can we ever get back to the days when well, civility is seen to be an important part of politics? I think people have to not be afraid to judge others. I know we're always told never judge the other person, but I think that's a complete moral inversion as well. Um, for example, the person that held up the sign, George Bush is as evil as bin Laden, mm-hmm. I'd ask him a question. Why? Explain that, please. Mm-hmm. Explain to me your morality that tells you that George Bush is as evil as bin Laden. Then you will hear the truth. Or at least but I'll tell you what they are. Often you won't, though. Often they're so ill-informed. As loud and boisterous and as noisy and may even shirk. I've seen it. I've, I've done it. But I will people. tell you, Bob, I will tell you what that per- if that person has a 
tiniest bit of intelligence, they will say George Bush has caused to be killed far more people than bin Laden has. Far more, quote, innocent people than bin Laden has. That will be their answer. Right, and if I stop there and give them the last word, and like what usually happens on radio, well, thanks, Mm -hmm. that's all we want to hear from you folks, Mm -hmm. and that's where it'll end, and it'll get more uncivilized. Mm -hmm. But then I would go on to the next question, right? has he killed more than bin Laden? Do you know that? You know, is killing the issue, or or are you allowed? I mean, there's a whole sense of morality of what constitutes. Uh, what are you going to do? Say a terrorist is better than any leader of any country because any conflict they get into might involve more casualties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, nothing. I wish that people could do. <laughs> but it's a terrorist. They're fighting for heaven's sake. Somehow, uh, kind of re- be reminded from time to time about what they have in common, as opposed to what just divides them. So, for instance, when you've got a political fight going on in a, in a country, I think most people in that country would have all kinds of values that they identify as common values. Even though Stephen Harper and I are never going to be friends ideologically, uh, if we started listing things that we love about Canada, there's probably a lot of them that are that are common, and uh, that you know you, you hope that people could pull back every so often and realize, look, we can have these be intense political. debates about what about policy and about should they do this or should they do that or was that a bad idea and so on. But we've all got kids, you know, they play minor sports. You know, we've got friends we hang out with and read videos on Saturday because we're too tired to do anything else. You know, there's a lot that we have in common, and it doesn't have to be that intensely political. The other thing is that to me, uh, there should be a law that if you're going to say something that's rhetorically over the top, you should have to say it in a funny way because you should be able to be self-deprecatory at least to the extent to realize, okay, when you're raging at the moon like that, it's kind of funny. You're being a bit funny, and if you can realize that, make it clear that you're laughing a bit at yourself too. That would be a very healthy. Well, thing. we do in our lives. We do make the accommodations that we don't make in, 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 in that the politicians don't make with each other, at least publicly. I mean, I have friends who are in the NDP, for heaven's sake. And and they are my friends, and I value them, and uh, we share a, a great deal in common, and uh, we hang out together and so on. But politically, we couldn't be farther apart, and yet we are able to somehow see past the politics. And it's not just that let's not talk politics, which we normally don't. I don't think it's that. I think it's about more than that. I think that when you are an individual of goodwill, a person of goodwill, which is a phrase that I love because I think it, it covers a lot of people whose hearts are in the right places and you don't have to define it any farther than that. I think people like that recognize that politics, for all its import in our lives, is really only a small part of our lives. And I for, disagree. For, well, I disagree entirely. Well, <laughs> how many taxes do you pay? More than half of your life goes to taxes. I'm, talk- I'm not talking your about, freedom I'm not talking about the results your... of politics, Bob. I'm talking about politics as it is played out in the public forum. Well, and you and I both know that what you're talking about how often you vote, that's once every no, no, five years for no, two no. seconds, and then if that's your limit of politics, you're not even involved no, no, in No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that the political philosophies that drive people to say George Bush is an addle-headed moron, and he's as bad as bin Laden, and Stephen Harper has a hidden agenda that will destroy the country, as one of my liberal friends once said to me, I think that is not politics. That is some other thing beyond that. And we live in spite of that. We live with those people in spite of that, those rhetorical flights, or non-rhetorical flights that they take. We find some way to live with those people. All I'm saying is I think we have to keep looking for that common ground all the time, or we are going to end up where everybody's behind that fence and behind that fence and throwing well, brickbats you know, at If you're only other. talking about people who are throwing their feelings at you, I wouldn't even have a conversation with somebody like that. If You can have strong feelings about things, and I have strong feelings about Bob, everything. Bob, you have I conversations with people like that all the time. You live for conversations ah, like no, that. No, 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 but what I do is I elevate the conversation to the point of relevancy, to, to, to reason, to logic, to fact. 
and get the emotion out of it, even if I've got a lot of emotion there. Um, I think that's part of everyone's philosophic duty, if you will, is to understand why they feel the way they feel, why they think the way they think. These are philosophical issues, and they come right down to metaphysics and epistemology, what you think about the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the person who believes in, in, in a deity is going to think one way about the world. The person who doesn't believe in a deity is going to think another way about the world. The difference is, and this is always a difference between people, is who are the people who can accept living with others without imposing themselves on them, and who are the people who can't accept living with others without imposing themselves upon them. And I, you see it on the right and the left, the right and the left wing. You've got the uh, basically the right wing wants your mind, the left wing wants your body and your money, right? <laughs> and neither of them want to leave you alone. Okay, because they've all got their pet peeves. But you they don't can choose to be left them. alone, though, too. That's the other uh, part. Is that? That people, Sorry? You can choose to be left alone. You don't have to be engaged in politics all the time. And I know uh, friends of mine well, no, you who can't. decided... I have friends who decided to sit the last election out because they were just too burned out. It's like they are they're, they don't like Stephen Harper. But, but they're, they're still paying their taxes. They can take time they off can't and leave hang it alone. out with their children. They can do their they work. They can, Bob. There's they do have that life option. There's politics. a There's a price to be paid, but there's a price we pay for everything in our lives. And for some people, the price of staying out of politics is that they lose that connection. I understand exactly what you're saying and I agree with you but we do still have the ability to opt out even if only temporarily we can take well, an election off which may be good to charge your batteries maybe it is the music is playing in the background boys that means we're out of time thank you so much both of you good one today always yeah. a pleasure and uh, Jeff and Bob will be back uh, next uh, what's next Wednesday that would be next Wednesday, Wednesday wouldn't yeah, it yeah. yes yes <laughs> <laughs> funny how that works out. it's very strange how that happens we'll look forward to having them joining us again hope you can join us tonight at the Wolf Performance Hall don't forget it's 7.30 but come early so you can get a good seat. We're shooting a video. Did I mention that television special? And a DVD. You might end up on TV. Wouldn't that be cool? In the meantime, it's Jim for Bob and Jeff saying take care of each other. Mind how you go. And God bless. Bye-bye.